Welcome back to KPMG's Risk Factors. Following on from our episode partnering with KPMG's Financial Crimes and Analytics team, today, KPMG Director Jordan Klofsky and FanDuel's Director of Federal Regulatory Compliance, Jonathan Fishner, continue the conversation on the topic of financial crimes and sports betting. This conversation was originally recorded in January 2022. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. This episode is part of an ongoing series where KPMG professionals and industry experts discuss financial crimes and hot topics and trends related to financial crime, AML, and sanctions. I'm Jordan Klosky, a director in KPMG's financial crimes and analytics practice, and I'm excited to be with you all today. Um, We have a really interesting topic to dive into, and that is the growth of legalized sports betting in the U.S., how companies are dealing with that growth from a regulatory perspective, specifically within the confines of financial crimes and AML, and what are some of the unique risks, typologies, and trends that may be relevant to a sports betting platform or company. I want to say before we we kick it off that this is one episode of a two-part series on sports betting and AML. Jenny Jonas, a managing director at KPMG, spoke with Lauren Lemmer from Wager, um, where they talked about some of the key considerations for an AML program for a sports betting company, the legalized betting marketplace, and the evolution of that space. So please check out that episode if this topic interests you and you want to hear a bit more. Well, that brings us to today's episode. With me today is a very special guest from FanDuel Sports, Jonathan Fishner. John, it's great to have you on the podcast. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, John, before we get into some of the, the meat of this conversation, I thought it'd be nice for you to provide some background on yourself and your career um, and what your role is over at FanDuel. Sure. So I've been at FanDuel for about two years. I'm the director of federal regulatory compliance. I'm also the AML officer. Just like you, Jordan, I graduated from Cardozo uh, Law School, which I'm very proud of. Um, I spent about eight years in corporate law, um, most of which was at Sidley Austin, where I was in the securities enforcement practice, um, which I really enjoyed. I spent a little more than two years uh, running the Global Financial Crimes Issues Management Program at MUFG. Um, where I got a really great education in um, financial crime compliance. Um, you know, in issues management, you really get get a chance to see everything, um, you know, all three lines of defense, um, you know, sanctions, ABC, AML, sort of all of that. So I got some really great general experience there. And then um, from there, I, I joined FanDuel. That was in March of 2020. I own the AML sanctions and anti-bribery and corruption programs, along with a few other things. Um, you know, our, my team has two groups, uh, strategy and governance, um, which is, you know, just what it sounds like, policies and procedures, process design, et cetera. And then I have an operational team. Um, so it's, uh, it's, FanDuel's a really exciting place to work, and um, I'm having a great time. It, it sounds like it'd be an exciting place to work, especially with everything going on in the industry now. Um, I assume most listeners would know uh, and be familiar with FanDuel, but just real briefly, do you want to give a kind of an overview of FanDuel's business? Sure. Um, so we are uh, the top sports online sports wagering company in the country. Um, we also offer online casino in a few states. Um, we're online in, in more than a dozen states now. Uh, we went online in New York State about two weeks ago, and actually we went online in Louisiana this morning. And we also operate two other businesses which is our daily fantasy sports product, which is also under the FanDuel brand, and uh, TVG, which is an online um, horse racing uh, app and and TV network, if you have that. And so, um, you know, that's FanDuel. I think 
you know, we're number one. If you have a television, you certainly, or a radio, you hear our ads and see our ads. And, you know, that's the story. Great. Yeah. So, um, John, you spoke a little bit about it. You know, we uh, sports betting went live in New York a little over two weeks ago as of the time of this taping. Obviously, um, today you just mentioned that it's going live in Louisiana. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about kind of that, that evolution, right? So um, kind of how many states are is, – is sports betting legal in the U.S. right now? And maybe, I don't know if you can – you can't predict the future, but where do you see it in maybe another year or, or two? Sure. So, you know, in 2018, the Supreme Court struck down PASPA, which was the federal law that prohibited sports wagering outside of Nevada. Uh, New Jersey was sort of first to market in legalizing sports uh, wagering. And um, somewhere around 15 states have followed suit from an online perspective. Um, There's legal wagering from a retail perspective, so sort of brick and mortar in in more states than that. And that's because a lot of states um, already had casinos. Right. You know, there's there's much more out there than just than just, you know, Vegas and Atlantic City. Like I mentioned, you know, so we are in in pretty much every state where um, online wagering is legal. That number is is approaching 15 now with the new states. Um, And we expect there to be another handful of states that legalize online uh, sports wagering this year. And of course, you know, the online sports wagering is, is I think the largest aspect of our business. So that's, that's what we spend a lot of our time on. And it's an area of growth because we're going into so many new States. I was just going to say, I just saw a report today from New York state that for the first two weeks of, um, first of legal sports wagering, the, the handle was across all the, the sports betting platforms was 1.14 billion dollars so they're expecting to break kind of all records in, in yeah. new york in the first month yeah the new york it's wild the new york launch has been a huge success um you know i think the market was really really sort of hungry for it and obviously we launched in in you know two great weekends of nfl football which is a you know mm-hmm. just been very exciting i think you know we saw the the greatest weekend of the nfl playoffs anyone's ever seen and 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 so the timing was very was perfect um you know, in the next five years, I think personally, and of course, this is just my view, everything I'm sort of sharing is just my view um, and not necessarily FanDuel's view. Um, I think you'd be looking at 20 to 25 more legal online wagering states, maybe more, um, you know, budget crunches and, and the economy being what they are. Um, you know, I think there's no reason why the, the pace won't accelerate. I think voters and, and um, you know, the are, are looking for this, right? And you saw it in New York, new, you know, residents of New York wanted to know why New Jersey had online sports wagering and they didn't. Um, so I, I think you'll see that. Now, as far as my world, in terms of the regulatory environment from a financial crimes perspective, um, you know, gaming is regulated at the state level. You know, the rules about payouts, mm-hmm. the rules about financial reporting, the rules about, um, you know, age requirements, things like that. But um, casinos are financial institutions under the BSA. And so we... Um, you know, we operate according to, to, to the Bank Secrecy Act and, 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 you know, we follow all those laws and best practices. Um, the BSA doesn't apply to all of our other products, so the non-wagering products, um, but we apply the program across the board um, just as a best practice. So that's really interesting. So your TVG and Daily Fantasy all kind of roll under the AML compliance program at FanDuel, so to speak. That's right. And, you know, what makes it it would be difficult to apply it any other way because our, you know, our cut, we have customers that use all, all the products. Um, all right. So that's a good lead in, I think, to the, 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 the next topic here. So 
Um, kind of as that growth has been happening and over your time at FanDuel, um, obviously, as you mentioned, the market's been uh, growing by, as every state legalizes and more and more um, customers are coming to your platform. Um, so how do you approach that from an AML program perspective? How are you kind of designing and assessing the effectiveness of the program? And, you know, philosophically, is there a way that you kind of think about the program? Is it all that different uh, from that of a traditional financial institution? Or, or is there some uniqueness that you, you of course, want to make sure that you're, you're mitigating against? The goal is really to build a bank-style financial crimes compliance program, but to do so in a way that's um, – nimble and uh, flexible the way we need to be because really we're an entertainment company and a technology company sort of mixed together and and to build a bank style uh aml program in particular you just have to rely on technology and on data you know we have something approaching two million monthly active users so it's not as if um a team of you know five to ten to fifteen people can manually review uh, account activity, and you know for each of those customers, we've got their deposits, their withdrawals, and their wagers. So it's it's a huge amount of data to sift through, and um, you know that's that's what we've we're setting out to do, just like a bank would. Um, but if you look at our program, you know what you would find is all the pillars, right? You'd find exactly what the FFIEC manual suggests, which is you know your policies and procedures, and your training and your audits. You know, of course, I'm the AML officer. We file SARS, we file CTRs, we do enhanced due diligence, you know, you name it. Um, but it's important that we always keep in mind that what the customers doing are doing is wagering. It's not banking. Right. And so things look a lot different. Right. And context matters. I mean, I guess the same way at a bank, what's happening in the economy and changes in the economy matter. The sports calendar matters. You know, it it matters that the playoffs are happening. It matters that the NCAA tournament is happening. Um, you know, we see customers that um, go that don't use the platform much between, uh, you know, March and September. And then the football season starts and they're sort of right back at it. Or, you know, we know enough to know that some customers will load their accounts sort of in August with something like a budget for the year. We've seen that. And so when I look at when we look at customer behavior, we sort of have to take that in, because if that was a bank, and that was a, a bank account that would look awfully suspicious, mm-hmm. um, right? And, and you know, banks have banks have typologies on dormant account activity, for an example, exactly. or their seasonality that they're accounting for. You know, maybe around the holiday time versus mm-hmm. you know the, the summer. Um, and in the same way, what you're saying is, you know, you're accounting for that type of activity at FanDuel. Um, just it's obviously a different, you know, it's a it's a different typology. It's a different use case. Obviously, exactly. if you're talking about wagering, and it, it also follows the the, the sports calendar. Um, I'm sure, you know, maybe things are a lot lighter in the summer when really only baseball in the U.S. is, is going on. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, we try as much as we can to spend the summer uh, improving our processes, updating our policies and procedures, and sort of doing all that, whatever we can in terms of the bandwidth, because the transactions kind of, you know, are seasonal. Right. So, so you touched on the, the pillars. I think that's an important, you know, call out, you know, to, to level set, you know, foundational requirements of an AML compliance program, no matter what type of, um, you know, financial institution subject to the BSA um, you might be. Um, obviously, kind of a component of those five pillars, if not, if not a, if, you know, a, or a major component of a successful AML compliance program is, is knowing who your customers are and, and, K, and KYC. 
do you think, and, and maybe I'm off here, but do you think kind of the way um, that gambling maybe culturally is viewed, even though it is legal now, um, does that kind of pose any challenges from a, from a KYC perspective? I'm just kind of going down the path of, you know, collecting certain documentation on customers, or maybe it doesn't pose a challenge because if you don't collect that information, well, then they can't be, you know, customers on your platform. Right. I mean, it is true that if they don't provide the documentation or the information, really, they can't be customers. And we, you know, we follow the regs to the letter and, and, um, you know, we don't have a lot of, of leeway that said, um, people love the product and they see the value in it and they, you know, whether they're comfortable providing their social security number or not, they do seem, it does seem that they're willing to do it. Um, but there's definitely some view out there still that gambling is a vice or is part of the black market. Um, we can see that sometimes, you know, when we go out to customers with what we call source of funds requests, sometimes they do hesitate a little to turn over maybe their bank statements or other things we need to verify um, the source of, of what they're wagering with. Um, you know, I, we see, and this goes back to sort of what we were talking about in terms of the transaction monitoring. There are customers who will withdraw with, will win and withdraw all their money on Monday and then redeposit on Friday. And that is absolutely sort of a, a function of the way things probably operated for them, I think, before they were uh, wagering legally, right? Um, so there are right. some interesting things there. But overall, the trajectory, I think, is very positive. I mean, if you're watching SportsCenter or you're watching television, I mean, we are absolutely, we are we are in the light for sure when it comes to online sports wagering. And one thing I, I, I think is, has been very interesting is, you know, when I interview people, sometimes I think they're hesitant to tell me that they use the product or that they're fans of the product. Um, and I want to say to them, like, it's okay to say that you gamble. We're a gambling company. Um, you know, we, we get that. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the, it's very true. The normalization of sports betting over the last, you know, couple of years, but really, like, the, I think the, the last year has been pretty remarkable. I think there's, there's now several shows on, on, on cable where they discuss sports betting openly, and, and that's, the, that's the, the main topic. Um, that's something that was not happening to your point, you know, even five years ago. So, um, I just, I, you know, the acceptance of it in the culture is, you know, and, and I guess that kind of leads into how you think about it also probably uh, affects how you think about it also from a, from an AML perspective. Absolutely. I mean, you don't have to be that old to remember when Al Michaels or Brent Musburger would sort of make those offhand comments at the end of a football game, like, Oh, th that this field goal is interesting for some people. And that was as far as it went. Right. Um, and right. now, you know, the NFL pregame, you know, you can see the odds on the bottom of the screen and, and, you know, it's, it's definitely part of the become part of the culture. Uh, I want to go back to one of the things you mentioned around source of funds. So that, to me that, um, you know, that, speaks to maybe a customer that's been on your platform um, for a little while, maybe wagering a potentially a sizable amount of money. I might be wrong here. And you as FanDuel, maybe not even just specifically from an AML perspective, but maybe from a responsible gaming perspective, want to, uh, to, to collect that, that additional information. Is, is that right? Am I thinking of that in the yeah. context? That's exactly right. And, and, and I imagine, in, and we were talking about this uh, in one of our previous conversations, but 
that is something in the U.S. I imagine may pose a challenge, maybe it doesn't. Um, but in but in other jurisdictions where legalized gambling, sports betting has been around longer. Um, you know, in Europe, it's been around, and in, in the U.K., it's been around for for probably like for, for forever, basically. Um, that that might be seen as more as a more normal piece of information to collect. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Um, and you know. We, we one thing we did talk about and I think is, is sort of interesting is, you know, we um, actually our operational processes are quite similar to those that we use on the responsible gaming side. And we take responsible gaming very seriously. Um, and next month is uh, well, I shouldn't say next month, but March is responsible gaming month um, and sort of a month of awareness. So um, it's something that we're we're very focused on. Interesting. Yeah, I, I did not know, prior, uh, or I did not think about responsible gaming in that same in that context um, prior to kind of discussing this with you. And I do think it's really interesting, kind of how the how the this area of compliance and, and that really important area of kind of um, also monitoring customer activity in some respects um, intersect. Um, I wanted to pivot a little bit uh, when we we both live in New York. You mentioned Louisiana went live today. Obviously, the advertisements are are kind of all over the place. Are all are all over. Um, there's a big push for for market share. It's obviously a very competitive marketplace, um, and there's a lot of these um, sign up uh, uh, promotions. Does the does the increased volume, both in terms of customers and in just activity on the platform, um, how does that pose challenges um, from a monitoring perspective? kind of a readiness perspective for your AML compliance program? Sure. Um, I mean, we prepare for these launches as best we can. We, you know, work with our commercial team, figure out what their forecasts are, try and calculate what our needs will be so we're well-staffed. Um, we've gotten a lot better at that over the course of the last year or two. Um, so that helps. But launching a new state especially, and launching a new state leading up to the Super Bowl or leading up to the NFL playoffs – just means more volume, more SAR filings, um, you know, more more alerts to clear. So that's always a challenge. Um, we do offer a lot of promos and bonuses, and and promo abuse and bonus abuse can look a lot like um, fraud or money laundering. And so we sort of have to navigate that, right? Like if you take a deposit bonus and and um, wager it on on short odds on very likely winners or um, and then try and withdraw your money. That looks a lot like what, you know, like a money laundering typology. And it's hard for us to ascertain those differences, but, um, you know, we do our best to sort of wade through it. We've been through it many times now. And, um, you know, there, there hasn't been a time that we haven't been able to get through it yet. So, um, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. I always say as a joke, we'll be fine as long as Texas and California don't launch on the same day. If that happens, I, I don't know. I don't know where we'll be. I'm sure the business would love it, and obviously the compliance folks would be would be worried and, and raising their hand I, that there, there'd be some issues to deal with. If they listen to this, I promise we'll figure out a way to make it work. We'll get it done. There you go. Yeah, yeah that's what the business wants to hear. <laughs> um, I want to dig into one thing you said um, on the typology. So you mentioned, as an example, somebody, somebody betting on, on short odds, um, and that could be a um, – so look, that could look like potentially uh, uh, taking advantage of a promo, potentially promo fr- uh, fraudulent activity, or it could also mirror uh, an AML typology. Can you just kind of describe what you mean by betting on short odds for people that might not be um, familiar 
um, with sports betting and kind of why that looks like an AML typology? Sure. So, or money laundering typology, rather. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, if you're betting on, you know, I'm a Knicks fan, but and they're, but if you're betting on the, you know, if the Knicks are playing, um, you know, the Bucks or the Nets at full strength, and you know, the whoever they're playing is favored very heavily, right? Like, say it's a, you know, it's a minus twelve hundred uh, line, right? You know, on the the money line, so. You'd have to bet twelve hundred dollars to win a hundred dollars. That would be one way you could potentially wash money. Now we keep, you know, we monitor for things like that. But the truth of the matter is, that's also um, that's a legitimate strategy. We offer the market. It's something that you can bet on. So we have ways of sort of ascertaining, um, or we try our best to ascertain whether it's sort of a legitimate strategy or whether it's not. So that's one typology. There are others. Um, but one thing I think we really have working in our favor um, is that we have very little anonymous play, right? So unlike in a casino or in a retail location, um, you can't go up to a kiosk. Um, there's no, you know, in, at, at a casino, there's a level at which you start to wager where you have to give your information. But online, where we do the vast uh, majority of our business, we do have retail locations, but the vast majority of our business is online, Every person is identified. Every person is verified. We can see where their money goes. We can see where their money comes from to a certain extent. And that allows us to monitor in a way. I think that makes us a relatively unattractive um, place for for money laundering, certainly for um, introducing money into the market. I I suppose layering would be a little bit of a different story. Um, And I think I said to you when we were talking um, before this, the thing that sort of keeps me up at night is less – the platform itself being used for money laundering and more um, people using the proceeds of crime to wager. That's, you know, that's just as unacceptable to us as money laundering is. And with, between the AML team and the fraud team and some of the other teams, uh, we do our best to, to keep that from happening. So that's interesting. So what you're saying there is really, um, you know, obviously you're monitoring for, for any activity that is indicative of money laundering or, or fraud or any other illicit activity. Um, but, what potentially may be more common is really just, you know, you know, bad actors, criminals, just using that platform legitimately. But, of course, you don't want criminals on your platform. So exactly. uh, it's, it's identifying those people. Um, and once you do identifying the, identify them, removing them from, from, from the platform. So that's what you're kind of drawing out there. Exactly. I mean, removing them and, and of course, making the, the required reports. Right. Um, and I think one thing you mentioned that I thought was interesting also is the um, the notion about uh, anonymous activity. And I think it, I, I think that's really a good point. So uh, uh, versus the, the traditional brick and mortar casino, and why in some respects, or in probably in many respects, um, the mobile and online sports betting industry is probably less risky, um, and, and and maybe shouldn't be thought of as the same way as as the same as typologies for money laundering risk as in the. As as there is in the casino space, and that is the anonymous activity. Um, and just to draw that out a little bit more, a criminal can't walk into FanDuel unless it is one of their brick-and-mortar locations, and even then it would probably be difficult to do, and just, and just exchange um, a large sum of money for chips and not doing any, do anything with them. Exactly. On, they have to sign on to your platform, and you know who they are. So that's exactly. um, that removes that risk. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, okay, um, I, I thought another uh, topic, and you had talked about maybe from like a capacity and planning perspective, um, but are there any um, is there any other issues maybe that um, 
where I haven't touched on or we haven't talked about yet, um, that these large-scale, you know, cultural events bring about? That would be interesting to discuss from, a, from an AML compliance uh, perspective. I think that the, the big thing here is just that the, the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl are, are just hugely popular. And, the, the, you know, like you said, more volume means more work, more transactions. But that people's bets, their patterns may change, right? For some people, quite a few, this is sort of the, the end of the, the busy part of the year for them. And, um, you know, I might, because I'm aware of the situation, t- when I look at the customer from a holistic perspective, what activity are they engaging in? Is this out of, is this, a, you know, outside of their normal pattern? We probably would cut them a little more leeway, right? And there's, this is a holistic review that we do. We look at all the customer's activity. So, you know, if you're a customer that usually bets $5,000 on a Sunday and you're going to bet 10000 you know, these are just examples, on the Super Bowl, I think anyone would agree that that's not so um, irregular, right? That's that's perfectly normal given what we know about football and about, you know, what, you know, the biggest game of the year. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. And, you know, when we're hiring and when I'm working with the team, I think that's sort of, you know, we talk about that type of awareness. No, and that's really interesting because just like, you know, transaction monitoring and FIU um, programs at, at traditional FIs and banks have, you know, alerts on deviations from normal um, and expected customer activity. Um, you know, I'm sure you may have something similar in place at FanDuel, and, and you, have to have, you have to have your folks trained on what to look for, right? And exactly. I think the Super Bowl or major sporting events would probably be uh, a great, um, you know, piece of information to keep in mind when they're looking at those spikes uh, potentially in customer activity. Um, what about the alternative? Um, a customer that um, maybe uh, deposits uh, funds onto the platform and, and bets them in very small amounts or bets them and then and then just does nothing with it for, for many months and then withdraws. Is there... Um, I know there are considerations from a responsible gaming standpoint, but are there concerns that that money kind of is used just to wash, uh, that those funds would just be, that that, that type of activity is used just to wash funds? Um, or is that really irregu- um, incidental and not something that you would really be con- uh, see happening all that much? Yeah, I mean, using a, you know, a gaming account as a sort of like a bank is, it could be a red flag, certainly. Um mm-hmm. You know, there's no real reason to, you know, we don't, you know, you can't earn interest, right? So this isn't the best place to, to right. park funds. But we would take certainly take that on a case by case basis. Like I said, you know, some people, that, you know, did you just open the account, right? Like how familiar with are you know, is the account newly opened? Do you have a wagering history? Did you wager all through football season and then sort of stop at the Super Bowl? I mean, we would take all of that into account, and you know, we really do take take each uh, case. Um, you know, one at a time and, and look at the customer on a, on a holistic basis. Makes a lot of sense. Um, it's really interesting just to kind of have you center us really on kind of how you go about looking at the customer activity um, from an AML um, and fraud uh, perspective and, and frame that in the context of sports. I think um, for people that are not familiar with sports betting, it's probably a really hopefully interesting way to, to, to look at it and seeing something and hearing something new. Um, I think this has been a really great conversation, and I, I, I'm really interested to see how this space grows and how the regulatory environment evolves and how you, you know, as a, as a leader of uh, an AML compliance and fraud and ABC 
uh, program over at FanDuel um, continue to kind of grow and evolve your program. So um, any, any, any final thoughts, John? Anything else you'd like to add? I guess I would just say, you know, across the, the risk and compliance functions here at FanDuel, you know, we really view ourselves as stewards of the industry. Um, we think compliance is good for business, you know, across all operators. And, um, you know, I'm lucky enough to work in a place that, you know, with my boss, Carolyn Renzen, and her boss, our CEO, Amy Howe, you know, we're all aligned in that. So I'm just, I feel very lucky to be in this chair. It's a very exciting time. So um, thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. No, thank you. And well said. And uh, looking forward to, like I said, all that tremendous growth and, and how the and how the compliance and regulatory environment continues to evolve. So thank you, John. I really appreciate you, you being on today. And thank you to everyone that was listening. Uh, please be on the lookout for future podcasts in this series, continuing the conversation on AML and sports betting. Thanks for listening to this episode of KPMG's Risk Factors. Be sure to subscribe to this series to be notified of new episodes. And for more information, go to the URL listed in this episode's description.